Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. I am Mark Altered Shark Hoffmeyer. And I am Jay Cloaca Cluett. <laughs> and this is Deep Blue Sea 3, Chapter 5. What happens in Deep Blue Sea 3, Chapter 5? Well, let me tell you. Back on the Thassos, Dr. Emma Collins, Dr. Richard Lowell, and Lucas, not even a surname, let alone a doctorate, examine the court bull shark. Emma corrects Richard on the shark's age and gender, and Richard and Lucas put a line in the shark. Or Richard asks Lucas to put a line in the shark. I cannot read my writing. Back on Little Happy, Emma has a quick shower, but is interrupted by Nandy calling for her missing brother, whose fishing boat has been found unattended. Shaw retrieves the boat, and Nandy inspects it, pulling in the fishing nets to find Pahari's disembodied arm still attached to it, reducing the population of Little Happy down to one. Richard and Lucas have a little macho posturing moment to themselves. Uh, Spin shows Emma, Shaw and Mia what he found when he traced Bella's tracker and reveals that, contrary to Lucas's story, Bella was never up a river. She was originally from Achilles and has been swimming around the Mozambique Channel ever since. Emma confronts Richard aboard the Thassos, revealing she knows that the Achilles and the sharks have been altered. They are interrupted by loud bangs as the two uncaptured sharks ram into the labs of the observation window. Richard wants to try and sedate them, but Lucas issues a kill order instead. To deter the sharks... (laughs) To deter the sharks, they manoeuvre their captive shark on a hoist over the water, and Richard points a harpoon at its head. The The sharks in the water see this, understand, and swim away. God damn, this is a great scene. And joining us for this scene, we have from the Changing Reels podcast, Courtney Small. Courtney, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to be here, especially for this particular chapter. Yes, you you specifically requested this chapter. I requested Might I ask why? <laughs> yes, this and or chapter seven because uh, there is so much goodness in both chapters, but the ending of this chapter is, I think, one of the top three <laughs> deep blue sea moments of, of the franchise. Of the franchise, hell yeah, that's fair. That. That's 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 in no way a controversial statement right there because that it, this belongs right there with it. The, all right, is it in three or two, like where would you? What are your top three moments actually? I want, I want to hear these. Uh, the well, it, it pretty much is for me. The first one is obviously the Sam Jackson moment. 
That's number mm-hmm. one from the first one. And the second would be the shark trying to cook El Cujay in his own oven. Yes. Uh, from the first one. And then I am pretty tempted to put holding the shark hostage in this film <laughs> and whispering to <laughs> back the F away so that, that I mean, you can't, those, you, you really can't, you can't top that right now. And, and Richard really like enunciates. The back, the F, he doesn't say F, off, I, loudly as if he thinks the sharks can can both hear and understand. And I, I kind of think they do. They do. They they 100% do. Uh, like they put the actual words. Yeah. Man, this guy means business. <laughs> How far down the list would you need to go, Courtney, before you found the scene from Deep Missy 2? Um, pretty far down. I, I'll have to say that I am not a fan of the second one. I went in expecting a, a fun time, and my brain kept turning on <laughs> in ways that I was not happy about. Like, I, I didn't find it as enjoyable. I thought that – I will give it credit. It does set up the whole mankind being um, the enemy, which I guess allows this film to have a bit more empathy towards the, the sharks. But there's just so many things with the second one that I didn't like, and the lead character I think was – was her name Misty? Dr. Misty Calhoun. Dr. I Misty could, Calhoun. I could not stand her. Like, just the way how they wrote that character. And then my wife and I would joke that they always, um, no matter what Misty was doing, she could never find a swimsuit that quite fit. Yeah. And she, <laughs> never, makes, she never makes assumptions. Never uh, makes assumptions. Like, there was just, there was many things about the character I didn't like. And then just the way how the story unfolded. Like, I felt if I could create this universe... Um, number three would be my number two. Like I would just erase number two altogether, and this feels more like a fitting sequel to the the first one. I, I guess the only thing the the top rated thing from Deep Blue Sea Two is the joy swim moment. God where the sharks are going. To, yeah, where the sharks go on a joy <laughs> swim because I love just I, I've never heard that phrase before, and it's like a joy ride, joy swim. So. I guess from a laughing perspective, that would be in there. Yeah. And, and yeah. to enjoy it with you too, I would recommend watching it once a week for 10 weeks. Yeah. Uh, which, and then like talking for about an hour a week about a scene of it. Because Mark and I, our, our enjoyment of that film did increase as it went on. We both went into it. Like if, when we, when it would come up in the first season of this, of this podcast, it would make Mark sad. <laughs> just just thinking of DBC two would just make him sad. Uh, but but now he he legitimately loves it, and I enjoy it a lot more than when I first saw it uh, earlier this year. So yeah, absolutely. I, just thinking about that movie, I would break out in hives, and then I just <laughs> I just grew to love it. Now I just I, I want I want them back for Deep Blue Sea four. At least Trader Slint and <laughs> and uh, Doctor Misty Calhoun and, uh, and Aaron. Roy. Yeah. Aaron Elroy, get a shoe bit some more, bring them back, have John Pogue direct them. I think that'll help a lot. And uh, yeah, I thought I'd bring them back. That'd make me so happy. But okay, well, they, they should do I, it like sorry. how they do um, the Fast and Furious films, where mm-hmm. you know you've got the first three now, and then number four is like, okay, let's just really embrace what we do well with this franchise, and as you said, bring people back because you know you once you start traveling down a particular franchise you like seeing familiar faces even if it's for a brief moment yeah that's a great point we we need to have the bit bit in fast five where they need to assemble a team is like oh we need this guy i know i know somebody who can fill that kind of role cut to preacher 
I was like, oh, we we need we need someone who can swim with sharks. Ah, I know just the girl, Doctor Misty Calhoun. And <laughs> Whoa! That's what, that's what we, and what you were saying we need to be like the Fast and Furious. I was I was hoping you were going to say shark heist, but unfortunately you you didn't say that. So. Well, I was thinking more like <laughs> they need to you know get into like a covert facility. And the bull sharks just happen to be like swarming all around. But a shark heist could also work where they're trying to, uh, free them. I don't know, I think it's one of the Jurassic Park ones. I can't remember where they're trying to turn whatever offspring that was secretly in some lab. They're trying to save that and, you know, reclimatize it back to, to regular humanity, if you uh, will. That is the fifth one that is, uh, Fallen Kingdom. We, we do not discuss Fallen Kingdom. And I understand oh. why. <laughs> Shark heist. Oh, man. And so in Underworld, they keep werewolves as prisoners. Not prisoners, as guards, the vampires do. So maybe there is a billionaire mogul who keeps genetically modified bull sharks as security for their laboratory. And it's up to the Deep Blue Sea crew to sneak in. But then everything opens up and then water mayhem breaks out. And then it becomes like hard rain. (laughs) inside of a James Bond villain layer, like a Dr. No layer, but with bull sharks and heists. Yeah, and they need they need people who've who've dealt with these sharks before. <laughs> and the eight survivors who have dealt with super smart sharks. The only eight people left in the world. And introduce them like they were an army of the dead and then make the movie an hour shorter than Army of the Dead. Yes, please. Then, very much. Yeah. So. yeah. That'd be good. Oh man. But this okay. It, I gotta say uh, when when Jay told me, Courtney, that you wanted this scene, I barely re- – I've watched this movie several times, and for some reason, the holding the shark hostage bit never hit that hard for me. <laughs> it's always like, yeah, that, this makes sense. Yeah. This I, is fine. Cool, I get it. But when you rec- – I don't know why, but this, I guess when someone recommended it, just I want this because of the shark being held hostage. I watched it again, and I just had the biggest smile on my face because like, a shark is being held hostage, and these other sharks understand. Like I got the absurdity of it this time. After about three watches. So I want to thank you for that, because this is a beautiful moment. Yeah, it, it, this scene, as comical as it is, there's a lot of great things that happens, and that's and part of the reason I took it, because for me, this was officially the, the, the chapter where Richard's downfall essentially occurs, because he kind of came in like the suave dude who's got his crew, and then you start to realize in this chapter that he doesn't really have control over his crew, so he's already losing power to, I believe it's Lucas, the yes. the right-hand man. And also, he, you see that the sharks are smart enough that they're going to try and break into the facility, but he doesn't want to lose his prized specimen. But what I love about the, the hostage moment is not only is he kind of, you know, I call it whispering his his demands for them to back away but i had to like rewatch the scene i literally pause it rewound it just go were the sharks looking up because they're clearly underwater but yet they have supervision and super hearing <laughs> that they could hear the demands pause for a moment and then go mm, all right we're leaving you know we'll, we'll come <laughs> back to play another day like there's you there's, win oh, this okay. round exactly it was just how everything plays out and and everyone's so shocked about oh my gosh like, they understood i'm thinking how did they see that from from the, <laughs> under there like i they've got amazing vision and as you know i'm not going to spoil later chapters for your other guests but again their vision comes into play but when it that later on it makes more sense because they're right up to a particular thing but there's a, a good distance they're underwater and they could see and in theory here, 
what was going on and they knew enough to to back away. I would love it if the sharks just slapped the water in frustration when they were swimming away, just turn around in a quick slap out of frustration, like, oh, you got me this time. <laughs> they, they spray rigid and enamel with water, just like like at SeaWorld, kind of thing. Just like, oh. <laughs> swim away. <laughs> I just love it. I mean, this is they, like they. I just love that the script writing in this. Someone went, I'm gonna put a large dart next to a genetically modified bull shark's head. And the other two bull sharks are going to be like, oh, we get it. Cool. This makes sense. And swim away. And it, and it got me thinking. So I, I want to have I want, I want to have you rank a few things for me, uh, Courtney. I don't know if, you, if I'm going to give you a few scenarios and I want you to rank them for me. So the stop or I shoot myself scene in Blazing Saddles where he holds himself hostage. Mm-hmm. Then I have the shoot the hostage scene in Speed. Then we'll do the sudden impact, make my day. Let's see. And then I'll add Deep Blue C3, Richard, and his gun. And for fun, let's do Big Trouble in Little China, where Jack Burton misses the knife throw. And Lil Pan looks at him like, what? So, so we've got our last place. Okay. Yeah. So we have like a hostage. <laughs> we have like a, a weapon to someone's head scenario. And if you don't like those, I can add in the Die Hard. I can add in Die Hard or Lethal Weapon. I took those out. But I, I, Blazing Saddle, Speed, Sudden Impact, Big Trouble in Little China, and Deep Blue Sea 3, Hostage Scenario, Weapon to Head. How would you rank those? Well, first I would like to say I'm impressed that you would rank the scene up amongst Blazing Saddle, Speed, and Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> sudden Impact, let's not talk about that film because, you know, when I think of Sudden Impact, that would actually – I'm going to rank that – um, the bottom, because when I think yeah. of sudden impact, I think of a helicopter landing on a sheet of ice in an arena and the ice not breaking. I don't know, me being Canadian and having, you know, been in, in doctrine to that, you know, hockey is a thing up here. I just find that absolutely ridiculous. And thinking... that, that movie in, mm. in general is ridiculous, although apparently they made a sequel, which I'm going to probably end up watching. Uh, you're thinking of double impact. No, oh, no, sudden death. Sudden death. Yeah, sorry, you're thinking of sudden death. DVD yes. Oh, sudden oh. impact is, impact is the, is the uh, Harry Callahan. Yeah. yeah, make my day. Okay, sorry. I guess I was thinking of the Van Damme. Uh... God damn it, my correction was wrong. Well, listen, <laughs> sudden death features JCVD playing goalie and fighting a mascot in the kitchen. Yes, it, it was it was tailor made for me. But yeah, I get oh. the ice scene for sure. Yes, yeah, so I had, that was was a, I had a JCVD film I was correcting with. It was just the wrong wrong word from the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're thinking what sudden impact? No, wait, I, I said, I no, said double, impact double impact instead the of one sudden where he death. Twin. <laughs> <laughs> so you combine these the two classic. JCVD films, you get this Clint Eastwood film. There we go. Whoa. <laughs> right. Yeah. So where, how would you rank these five? Oh, see, now this is a tough one. I would put Blazing Saddles first. Um, cause that scene is just great. Yeah. I would, I, I want to put, sorry, I want to put big trouble. I, China I know I'm wrong. It's fine. Then put deep blue sea third. Ooh, um, yeah. I would put sudden impact and then probably speed as much as I love speed. I would put that the, the, the last of the three. Shoot the hostage. I, I love it. And that's a, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I love Jack Burton misses that knife and Lopan looks at him like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll admit that putting Deep Lucy 3 has a lot to do with it being a shark. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, if it was one of the characters in this film, it'd probably rank lower. But once you do that to a shark, 
that you know that's that raises the bar. Yeah, I, I had fun looking up those scenes. By the like, that was a fun research thing. I had to I had to look those up and see where they sit in the pantheon of classic moments like that. So that was good. That was cool. And then there's a lot of them, but these were the five I liked the most, so I put them in there. But yeah, Blazing Saddles has got to be number one because it's just so absurd. Mm-hmm. I like the scene from Speed. I watched Speed a lot as a kid. It was a formative film for me. Uh, so that's always stuck with me, like the shoot the hostage moment from Speed. Yeah, I watched that one again recently. And, you know, I think it still holds up. It's a great kind of little summer blockbuster type film. But That's why I love Alan Rock. Speed and Twister. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that gets me, though, is when he kills Hopper at the end. I think he says, yeah, well, I'm taller than you now. <laughs> and then yeah. he's down. It doesn't matter. So he's beheaded. Yeah. So then, then he, now Keanu is taller. Is that what he was saying? I feel like Keanu is already taller than Dennis Hopper. Yeah, now I'm much taller. <laughs> I don't. It, that that's a, a weird final line. Like speed, speed is one of those films that I always forget that there's a whole whole other act after they get off the bus. Yeah, like that, the whole train sequence is this. What, what is this film? There, this, this is the exploding bus film. What are we, what are we a train? Okay. This is speed too. So I just, yeah, that, that, I just get, for me, the film ends when they, they play the loop and they escape off the, off the bottom of the, of the bus and everyone's fine. That's the end of speed. You could probably end it there. <laughs> I do. Every time. And also speed too, though. It has Willem Dafoe on a jet ski. So that's an automatic. It exists. Okay. Yeah. Jason Gotta have no Keanu Reeves. And also, I love in this chapter how Shaw is just calling everybody a-holes. Like, Shaw is just running around doing that. But I, I agree with him, because he wants to know what these a-holes are up to. And it makes me happy. They're happy. They're going to blow it up. What are they doing? Yeah. They do not care. <laughs> I just love him yelling at calling everybody, like, what are these a-holes up to? It makes me happy. And I also think that when, I like when Dr. Emma Collins tackles Bahari. Like, don't go in the water. That's the way you do it. You don't look at somebody and go, hey, you know, you probably don't want to go in the water. Like, don't tell me what to do. Like, she legit tackles her she, from she's going in the like water. A, a full embrace. There is no escaping that. She is holding her back fully. Like, that's what you w. do. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, hey, don't go in the water. And then she's like, I'm, well, I'm going to do it now. So it's, I, I appreciated the heads up move there of Dr. Emma Collins wiping out Bahari so she didn't jump in the water. And then she just made Shaw go out on a little dinghy, which would have been pulverized. By one of the bull sharks. Yep, that would be no match for it. But then he's like <laughs> doing a pro- he's doing a nice pose when he's bringing that when he's like uh, towing the boat back in. He's got a full like sunglasses on in full sunlight. If it, it feels like a pose move, we're just looking back at the boat. He knows he's being filmed. It's great dinghy work. Yeah. yeah. I will say though that Nandy gets um she, she doesn't want to get too much oh, to do oh, in this, in this film. Bahari. Oh sorry. Sorry. Oh. Uh, because when when she gets pulled back, you know she does the kind of shock look, and then her whole role in this chapter is just to look shock. Because even when the when she pulls up the the fishing net and and finds uh, Bahari's arm attached to the net, she gives one of those like stunned looks, and it, and Emma seems to react far more than than she does. And then they cut to the next scene when. Nanny's in her bed, kind of still trying to process, and everyone's around her. And I really so that this entire time, I'm like your entire role was just to look shock. You know, don't say much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, don't drink the tea. Sp- spoiler for this film: yep. 
Nandi is one of the few survivors of these of this crew, but she doesn't ever get a lot to do in the film. Of all of the survivors of all the three films, she is she has the least to do of, of any of them, I would say, which is a shame because she she's just kind of there in the background, not really helping much much in most of the scenes. Like she cooks them the food earlier, she's lost her brother, so she does. It is a good acting moment of the kind of the lip quivering, having just found this this detached arm, which is a Potential nod to Jurassic Park. I don't know. I see everything as a nod to Jurassic Park. Or Jaws, right? With the head. I don't care. Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws. What's Jaws got to do with this film? <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I would have much liked to have like, learn more about this character. How to do more things. Either of those would be great. <laughs> She's severely underwritten. She has a good moment at the end, but that's about it. Yeah, it's a very underwritten character. Yeah. I guess you just needed to show that there were people still living at Little Happy and not deserted, so they just wrote them in real quick. Give them something to do. Uh, yeah. 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 Let her blow up a shark. Give her a kitchen fight. Yeah. That, that would, or I don't have her take out one of, the, one of the goons. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this more in other chapters, I'm sure. Yeah, she would definitely have uh, due cause to either yeah. take out one of the bad guys or take out one of the sharks yeah you um, killed my brother that's a good point well i'm just happy that you brought up achilleos again jay that makes <laughs> me very happy well they bring it up in the film in the chapter achilleos! Uh, they they you know they talk about that this is the uh the moment where they establish that this is the sequel to the busy two where they, they say achilleos run by a billionaire pharmaceutical guy named carl durant the whole place sank and took durant with it they don't mention anyone else does it it took durant with it which it did I mean, not because it sank. He got eaten by a shark. <laughs> yeah, and he loved it. He loved he every second. Loved every second. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it shows that no one really knows what happened there. So when uh, Dr. Mr. Calhoun, translator, and Aranero got back, they didn't necessarily tell anyone what happened. They just kind of got back and went into hiding. Or were silenced by the company. Who knows? Oh, that's Deep Blue Sea 4. they got to get rescued yeah, by Dr. Emma Collins and the crew. <laughs> <laughs> they go get them. They landed on an island into deep rising, and they're still just trying to escape. That was a question I, I had. I was going to ask you guys about. So when Spin does his hacking research, I thought in number two, and again, it's been a while since I've, I watched it, that the facility went down, but not too many people knew of what was going on in that facility. But yet he had a whole lot of information that I couldn't quite figure out where he was pulling it from. Like if it, it'd be one thing if it was just like news clippings where, you know, Bayonara goes down. But, like, the way how he was delivering the dialogue, it felt like he was pulling up some intel from somewhere, but I don't know who would have had that Well, that level of detail. When, That's a great when point. Misty was approached by Craig at the start of Deep Sea 2, she did some research on Durant as being a pharmaceutical guy, but she didn't come up with anything shark-related at that point. So Right, because it was just the Alzheimer yeah. Um, thing. Yeah, okay. And then nothing was in the cloud, so there's not much there to because he yeah, Durant refused to put anything on the cloud, so all the research blew up with uh, Achilles. So so okay, so well maybe maybe it was known that Achilles was some kind of research facility owned by Durant, which perhaps Misty could have found that she knew that she was getting on a boat to go somewhere, so that might have been public information, the ownership of it and stuff, and they, they don't know that it was about shark testing. They just know that that's where Bella's tracker started. So maybe the location of Achilles was known. Uh, uh, Spin 
found where Bella started and he he looked up what what's at this exact uh, location point? Oh, that's where Achilles used to be. And mm-hmm. what was in the news was that Achilles sank. So mm-hmm. they they're piecing it together that there was some pharmaceutical guy he had this facility out in the water that sank sharks came from there maybe he was experimenting with those pharmaceuticals on the sharks at that place and it sank so i say that there is no this is all just circumspective and piecing it all together piecemeal uh maybe they just put like two plus two plus two equals six kind of thing yeah uh, and they just happen to be correct <laughs> And you Why? get that great moment where they say, like, you know, they're not sharks. They're, they're something else. <laughs> All sharks they're children. Now, why? Okay, they have one live specimen. Why would it be an issue to blow up the other two? And I know, like, we're killing sharks. It's not on them. But Richard, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't, I don't know. Does that make sense to you? Like, don't they have one live specimen they could leave with that and just have the other two flying around? Or are they trying? Oh, they're trying to cover up the evidence, but they could technically kill the other two, right, and keep the one that's alive. Yeah, Richard probably would just prefer to take all three. He he is still like an environmentalist. He still is like pro animals. Uh, so he just doesn't want to have shark blood on his hands uh, any more than yeah. necessary. Yeah, that means they've got the. What if they do something wrong when they're dissecting the one they've got? It's good to have a backup. Yeah, it's true. I get, <laughs> but I like what you said, Courtney, about this is when he loses his power. Because he does. He has that scene with Lucas, where it's just really sort of antagonistic between the two of them. But I, I don't know. Lucas doesn't seem to be saying anything wrong, does he? He just He's doing his job, and then Richard's just stopped doing his job because of Emma, Dr. Emma Collins. What's going on there between them? Lucas is doing his job, but in a very surly and ag- aggressive <laughs> manner towards Richard. <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. but you could tell that yeah. you could tell that Lucas is—he's there for the mission, and his job is to complete the the mission. And I, I kind of agree—he he wasn't wrong. Like I was when I was watching this, I was thinking, yeah, you could just kill those other two, but because Emma's there, I think Richard wanted to save face and also hopefully try and rekindle something with her. Yeah. Based off of uh, another scene, which I can't remember if it comes before or after this one where they yeah. have a an intimate moment. Uh, that's before this. That was, that was last week. Yes. Okay. So they had that moment and I think that sets up that he, he clearly wants to get back in her good books. Um, there's still feelings there, which is why he doesn't want to go all Rambo on the, the sharks. And I think that's also why he did the whole let's threaten them instead of just bomb them straight. Yeah. yeah and in his in his mind, I think he always felt that he was in control of every situation. So he could control Lucas. He could woo Emma. When through this chapter, you realize that he doesn't have control over anybody. Like he's floundering. He didn't. He couldn't even tell that the shark was a male. Because <laughs> oh, at the very yeah. beginning, he thought it was a she. And, she, and Emma looks at it and it's like, oh, this is beautiful. It's a junior, but it's been aged. What did they do? Like, what happened to you or something? So in that one brief moment, Emma's already establishing that she's way smarter than Richard when it comes to analyzing sharks. She could tell that the shark has suffered some type of trauma, which almost has aged it. Like, it's been in so much pain or whatever happened. Because this is still essentially a baby, but has gone through something. And he's he has to literally go to look at the the organs to to verify whether or not so yeah. i i think this just kind of 
brings him down so that when things happen in in upcoming chapters, you know, it it sells it even more because you realize, yeah, you you came in like you were a hot stuff, but you were probably the weakest out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. It almost feels like Emma's Emma's testing him. Like, how old is it? Two to three? Look, looks older, nearly mature. She's a he. He's just correct but to, to, if we were going by if they were two to three years old, we saw they they were born. The shark was born in Deep Sea Two. And it they they can't have been swimming around the Mozambique channel for two to three years, surely. That, I guess I guess so, right? That's but that's not a huge expanse of water. Yeah. For, for these sharks that, are just, that live off great whites to go to go unnoticed, so maybe yeah, maybe they just they just matured so much faster uh, because I was, of the modifications, the yeah. genetic modifications of yeah. them. I was uh, disappointed that when they when they said like, oh, they, they happened in Achilles. I wouldn't say that that Achilles that sank three months ago. Just like, give me some some kind of a specific time frame would have been wonderful. But it turns out this pod, this film was not made for podcast analysis. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Wait, could Lucas... Yeah, I don't know. Lucas in this scene, like, those two sharks where they were at, with that explosive that he had, he could have tagged those things, I think, from the boat. While they were paying attention to Richard. That I think so, yeah. bonkers looking explosive thing could have lit them up and it wouldn't have blown up a little happy. It might have blown a hole in the boat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're right oh, next like to forty, fifty feet away. You think? I mean, the, the the sharks were right next to the boat. Yeah, yeah, they were pretty close. Got it. Yeah, you probably don't want to risk blowing up your boat. That's not a good look. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But I guess it's Lucas in the scene. You know, he's the like because I've watched the movie and I've seen his glorious spin kicks. I know he's <laughs> the the villain, uh, one of the antagonists. But everything he was saying in this movie, I'm like, well, it's not. He's not wrong. He's just a surly dude trying to get his mission done by blowing up genetically modified super sharks that are threats to humanity <laughs> yeah that will wipe out like because they're 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 threats to humanity in that they'll just mess up the ocean correct they will go kill the great white yeah. sharks like they will... think of our heroes this was their plan at the end of dbc one and two the heroes of those films like we gotta kill those sharks is the first smart thing you've said all day yeah <laughs> They're rooting for the wrong people. And so, the, so then Lucas is wanting to blow him up, and he's the villain. Apparently so. In previous chapters, they've they've said about uh, Richard's mentioned uh, his his boss or the person in charge is set on this mission. And the first time I watched this film, I thought that that was eventually Lucas that he was because he he seems like he's in charge after this scene and isn't really doesn't seem to be reporting to anybody. Um, I, don't, I don't think this is correct. I think there is somebody above Lucas who is who is more in charge. Who I'm going to assume Ronnie is Cox. Ronnie Cox. Exactly. Uh, it, ha- it has to be. If DBC Four comes out without Ronnie Cox being in charge, we will all be disappointed. John Pogue, if you're listening, do you know what you need to do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you Ronnie's there right now, yep. shooting. <laughs> still, still has no lines. No, yeah. still no lines. <laughs> but I think that's why you could have. A, a number four because you've already established now that there was someone who wanted this information. Mm-hmm. You can always put a spin that there was some type of file or DNA or some, I don't know, DNA caught on a tracker or something that they can reproduce the experiment because Lucas 
for all his flaws, you know, he he does go quite crazy <laughs> um, as the film proceeds. <laughs> but up to this point, yeah. Yeah. he's doing exactly what he's paid to do. He's, I'd say, him and his men are the only people that really kind of understand the true danger involved. Emma doesn't really know what's going on, and Shaw doesn't know what's going on, so they don't really know the extent of the danger. To them, the sharks are still just kind of confused and not where they they should be. So I I, I didn't feel bad for him up at this point. You know, things happen later on where you're like, ah, oh, well, you know, it was a fun run, Lucas. But at this point, I I, I don't want to say I sympathize. I understood his motivations. Yeah. When he becomes a human spin kicking machine later on, then we, then he kind of loses us. But, uh, yeah. Or Lucas, he doesn't even get a last name in this movie. No. He, I mean, he, he loses us in terms of rooting for him. He does not lose us in terms of being entertained. Yeah. He, the, the, when he starts spin kicking, it, it, that ratchets up a, a thousand fold. I'm beginning to kind of enjoy some of the more absurd moments of this film a lot more. Because after watching Deep Blue Sea 2, watching this, it was just a breath of fresh air. But now I'm starting to embrace a lot of the absurdity of it. And it just makes me happy. Well, this is like, I... this is where the film starts its absurd turns. Because up to this mm-hmm. point, it's been fairly sincere and fairly straight. But now we have a shark being held hostage. And other sharks understanding. And I'm like, yes, more of this, please. And we do get more of this kind of thing in upcoming chapters. So this is very much a film of two halves, where it starts out a fairly serious, environmentally-themed shark movie and turns into... What the hell just happened? Oh my god, his head! <laughs> yeah, shark hostage. And I do like though that Nathaniel uh, Richard Richard Lowell Lowell uh, is really selling his injuries yeah, during this scene as well. Side. Yeah, I I like it. I like a commitment to injury selling because in Fast and Furious and the fourth one, Vin Diesel's shot and he forgets about it. In the third Triple X movie, I thought Donnie Yen died in it. And then three minutes later, he's walking around laughing. So I do like the selling of an injury in this. It made me happy. I, no cells of injuries are getting old to me. So I, I do appreciate that he just kept rubbing his side during that, like letting us know that this happened a little bit ago. So I got I to gotta give props to Nathaniel over there for some quality selling of uh, a shark bite that he'll never have to pay for beer again for getting. Yep, and he doesn't. Yep. That was quite nice. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he does it. Now, Courtney, when you when you uh, first chose Chapter Five, I was relieved that it wasn't because of the shower scene, because uh, this is this is the chapter with the gratuitous female lead uh, in not very many clothes for a short period of time. Um, so, I'm glad that you you came up with the lie. Oh, it's because of the hostage. It's not because of the one ogle Tanya Ramon in a bikini. You know what? To be honest, I've watched this film twice and. The shower scene is so forgettable for me. It's ten seconds. In this movie, so, yeah, yeah, it is. It's not like the um, Saffron Burrows. I got electrocuted <laughs> yeah. shark and uh, stripped down to make sure I don't get electrocuted moment. So, and and it's also not the I don't have a swimsuit that fits me from number two. So it was just kind of one of those. Although there is a moment in an earlier chapter where Emma does something when. Um, Lucas and Richard first enters that I thought oh, she covers up. Yeah. Yeah, she cover I don't know if you guys already discussed this in a it, previous chapter. It didn't come chapter. up. Okay. So I'm going to quickly just divert it. The way how she plays that scene doesn't make any sense to me because they present it as almost of like don't you guys kind of knock like you just barge in here and she covers up almost as as if 
you know, she just hopped out of the shower and then there's the intruders. And then about a minute or so later, she confidently opens up her top again. And again, she's wearing her, her swimsuit top. So it's nothing gratuitous, but kind of a confident of like, you know, Oh, we women can do it all. How dare you think? No. And I was like, well, why, why did you cover up in the first place? Like, even my wife was like, that doesn't make any sense why she would do that kind of, I'm modest one moment. And then I'm super confident the next one. You didn't need to be modest at all. Like it's, I, I don't know. That's the only moment in this film where I was drawn to her body because <laughs> of her actions. Like she specifically did something where I went, but that doesn't make any sense. My only possible theory is that it's just a kind of a gut reaction of there's somebody unexpected. I, I'm used to walking around in a, in a, a bikini top and open shirt around these people. These are like my family, but these people, these are these kind of strangers essentially come in instinctive cover up, and then you Lucas exactly, and then she. Kind of got more in her head about it and thought, oh, no, this is fine. This is fine. Yeah, because, I mean, the rest of the film, she's in the bikini top, you know, battling sharks, doing whatever. So I, I just, that was the only moment where I, it, it stuck out just because it it felt so – such an odd choice for for that particular character to make just based off of everything. Like, I know she's not good with people, but I don't know. It was just – that was the only time where her body became, like, a an important aspect of the film but yeah the shower scene was just like all right whatever like you know i would expect that she would shower. i don't know if she would necessarily shower outside but it's a small place there's hardly anyone there anyway so to me i'm assuming that's just a common occurrence and i would say if anything the men get featured a lot more in this film like you know Absolutely. there's yes. buff dudes yeah. everywhere <laughs> <laughs> you watch beefcake, beefcake atoll is what we call it yes yeah, yeah the beefcake is the exact same way with just these these a group of shirtless men about to go diving. They both have the exact same shot, essentially. Um, yeah. So I've yeah. never really considered, so you, we have the shirt closing, then the shower. And I've never really even given those two thoughts. But then I guess I grew up near the beach in Florida. Whenever you go there, there's those little things that you what close, um, you shower off your feet and your body to get all the salt water off you. So I guess that makes sense to just have a hose out there. I guess yeah. it doesn't make sense to like frame it like that. But, but I mean, you, I guess... I it answers some questions. It's like, oh, there's fresh water. They can do that. Yeah. And Shaw was know. using that hose to, to clean off some of the, the scuba gear in a previous chapter, in chapter one, I think. And later on, Maya uses it to ride the shark. <laughs> yes, of course. When... Check off hose. Yep. <laughs> Imagine that scene. Ah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's, it, serves, it serves a purpose. Like, I will say, it's not like, um, was it fasten furious which is a series i absolutely love but we're up to what <laughs> number nine show? we're up to number nine right now and it's, it's gotten to the point where by time you hit i think it was like five or maybe six it was like okay do we need to have the racing that starts with a girl in a really skimpy skirt and Lisa i think number, yeah number seven really like sexualizes the the woman starting the race and you're like okay we've We've been doing this for how many years now? Like, I understand when it first started, you know, you were going for a particular um, audience, but now you've expanded. You're like a global phenomenon. You don't really need those type of moments. So I don't know if in this particular film, if they want to throw the shower scene in just as, you know, for kicks or whatnot, or if it was like part of the mandate. We well, we need to. All the other films have had some type of scene, but we don't want to necessarily glorify it. So we'll just throw a quick kind of nothing scene but i mean when you follow it up with sharks being held hostage nothing else is memorable 
It's funny that you say that about Furious 7, because it features the most gratuitous. So I did which Fast and Furious movie is the most Fast and Furious. And so I broke, I used uh, this really cool Bloomberg thing, Ensure the Gap. They had those for the first six movies, and I watched 7 and 8, and I gathered all that data, and I added a few things. But it's, it's funny you said that about Furious 7, because it has the most of those particular type of shots in it. Yeah. Like it goes furious with gratuitous shots in it. It gets uh, it's a bit of it gets a bit oppressive. You're like, dang, James Wan, like, what were you doing on set, man? Yeah, but ex- exactly. I went through the project of going through all of the casts for all of them and just counting how many uh, people were credited as just like hot girl, phone girl, <laughs> supermodel, and it was I think uh, over a hundred uh, by the time I I'd counted all of the films. So yeah, they are. <laughs> Some At least fifty of those was the James Wan um, number seven. Yes, I think I think that is the worst one. Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. I'll let you know before you get out of here on that. But I, I want to say though, my brother and I, we really want to be some of those party goers in one of the fast. Like I guess we only have one or two movies left, but I want to be in one of those party scenes in the background, just doing something. I don't know, standing by a car, cleaning it. That's really? like my goal. Covering covering up a woman, <laughs> <laughs> protecting somebody's modesty. Doing the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Hey, like put, putting jumpers on people. <laughs> and, uh, and we want to be cops, background cops in a Bad Boys movie. Like, that's my brother and I. We want to be in a Fast and Furious and Bad Boys movie. If you had to that pick one, which would you, which, what's your preference? Oh, Fast. Yeah, fast for yeah. sure. Unless I got, like, a real featured role in Bad Boys. It's like a stupid mustachioed cop that just gets, I don't know, blown up by, like, 7,000 bullets but still lives. You're like Joey Pant's nephew kind of thing. Whoa, Yeah. And that Bad Boys 2 chase scene where the cars are flying on the freeway, and then there's a report, like, nobody was killed in, in this chase scene. Like, what? Everyone was severely maimed. Yeah, I just went, what are the odds? Like, what what just happened there? So if we're so, doing a Deep Blue Sea Fast Five style reuniting everyone uh, for this job, who's the, uh, the Dwayne Johnson-like big actor who they need to face off against? Who's going to, like, revitalize the franchise and become a part of the crew going on? Scott Adkins. I, I knew you were going to say Scott Adkins, but Courtney, do you ha- can you beat Scott Adkins? Scott Adkins. <laughs> no, I Michael was going to say White. I was going to say just bring in. Uh, oh, Michael J. White. Actually, I was trying to think of. I was like, well, you know what? You could always just bring in The Rock, but he would. His, <laughs> I feel his, like he might be. Uh, I might be a little outside of the budget of Steve Yeah, Yeah, so let's say his salary <laughs> might be a little too high, but Michael J. White could be perfect. Like you just need someone relatively well known who's known for action, and I think Michael J. White could could do this role yeah imagine oh, that i threw it before you bring in a few room. yeah bring in a few people that from the past and then i'll throw in a few new ones yeah that could that could work and then the next one if four does well five you could bring it i just love the movie triple threat with michael jai white eco ua tony jaw tiger chen michael bisbing scott adkins wonderful cast just bring them all into it and then lungren Dolph. well could could Lundgren be a good heavy, or is he past the point? It could be like the 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 boss of the villains, maybe. Yeah, I could see him more as the the boss. Like I know he could, I know he's still doing action films, but I think he's at that point now where I I find him more interesting when he's you know having to just be an, a regular actor. Yeah, I feel like yeah. watching him having a fight with Ronnie Cox would be fun. Uh, like today. Cool. <laughs> I just thought of something. My when we were watching this movie, my wife said, oh, wow, Brent Foster, that looks like Scott Adkins' cousin. 
So that would be a great way to bring in Scott Adkins yeah. as maybe his older brother who owned the company and is also a uh, martial arts master and shark rider. Oh, I'm so there good. it is. It writes itself. And, and then you can bring in Michael Jai White, too. And, of course, Michael Jai White was in the sequel to Sudden Death to bring it all around. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> I shall he's be queuing that up uh, right after this. <laughs> I believe he is the star done. of it. Yeah. And he's also an Undisputed 2 where he fights Scott Adkins. That's a good franchise right there that got better as it goes. Well, I actually like the first one by Walter Hill, but the Undisputed franchise is one that hangs around for a while, too. Yes. I don't know if you ever watched any of those. Anybody here? I have not. He's also no. apparently in Universal Soldier. Oh, Scott Adkins, yeah, he's in Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. And that's no, a Michael wonderful Michael J. White is a Universal Soldier. He's in the, in the first one. He plays a soldier. <laughs> it's really? One of, his, one, of his, one of his first roles. So I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a big part. <laughs> I did not know that. You just blew my mind. There we go. You're welcome. All right. And now I have, I have one more ranking, and I have to do this. And, Jay, I want to do this for you because I know how much you love the Jurassic Park world. So I want you to – I love movies where characters are really good at staring at computer screens. I think computer acting is tough. Like Alicia – I don't like the new Jason Bourne movie – but I think Vikander's screen acting of looking at screens is second to none. It's beautiful. Sandra Bullock in the net, excellent. But I'm going to have you rank these six characters, and they're all a theme. So Spin from Deep Blue Sea 3, Aaron from Deep Blue Sea 2, Scoggins from Deep Blue Sea, Arnold from Jurassic Park, Lowry and Vivian from Jurassic World, and Jax Hurd, Ruby Rose from The Meg. So how would you rank their computer-looking-at skills? Okay. Hmm. Courtney brought up hacking earlier, and it made me happy. So it's a good lead-in for that. I thought you were going to go with Lex from Jurassic Park, uh, Ariana Murphy, because um, she has a whole lot of hacking sequence. Okay, <laughs> no, you know no, no, use no. Lex. Uh, I'll stick I mean, with either one, right? I'll stick with Sam Jackson. I love Sam Jackson in in Jurassic Park, so it's going to take a lot for him not to be my number one, um, just because like, he he is the only one on this list who is believably frustrated with the computer. Uh, which I feel like is is me on a regular basis. And he's got the cigarette hanging out. He's like been up for seventy two hours. It feels like he's just frazzled, and he's just just doesn't need any of this hacker crap. And so yeah, he he's my number one. And also, it's Sam Jackson. He's the best actor that you've just listed. So it's easy. All right. Scoggins does some pretty good typing work. <laughs> yes, he does. He does Rapaport some pretty great typing. It. Yeah. So, um, Scoggins, this is, I'm just going to rank these in order that I like the film. It says that. Jurassic Park, then DBC. I don't remember Ruby Rose looking at a computer. I, I, I've seen the Meg at least twice. I know that she is the Scoggins role, but I don't remember her actually doing anything computer-based. So I'm going to just put her at the bottom. I like Ruby Rose fine. Uh, she's like, she's one of the better parts of Pitch Perfect 3. Not, not a, it's a terrible, terrible film. <laughs> but she's like fun in it. I'll put Jurassic World in third. Uh, just because I really like the moment in, it's nothing to do with the computer acting but when Jake Johnson when he goes to like to kiss Lauren Lapkus and she like pulls away like, I'm in a relationship I, I love that he, he's been thinking he's the hero of the film the whole time yeah. and then he realizes that moment oh no I'm just, I'm like the fodder I'm, I'd be lucky if I survived this <laughs> so that, that is a a lot of people have a lot of people have problems with Jurassic World that's a moment that I've always really enjoyed with them him going oh no this isn't my film uh, so, so, yeah, so he's third. Then I'd spin and Skull, I'd spin and Aaron. It's hard to different. I like spin. I like spin more than Aaron. Aaron's fine, but he's he's like surprised by things on his monitors. The shark, 
It's like <laughs> looming out of nowhere and surprises him, even though he put the camera there. Uh, so yeah, so my ranking is Sam Jackson, then uh, Scoggins, then Jake Johnson in Jurassic World, then Spin, then Aaron, then Ruby Rose in the neck. Perfect. Which now, from a sexist angle, makes me sound terrible because I've put the only female one right at the bottom. But hey, it's it's done now. That was no, I added. Um, well, I guess I have Lowry and Vivian who look at computers. Yeah. So okay. then you have both of them. Yes, that's true. Because they're a duo. I couldn't. I, I was. I had Lowry, but I'm like, no, Vivian's that crew. They're, they're a duo. So I had to make sure to add them. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> I know it's a random ranking, but you yeah, know how much I like twenty minutes staring at screens. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I gave it to you. I knew you. I knew it'd be tough for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. But. Hey, he does. He hacks, and they stare at computers. Yeah, computer, and his computer opening skills are wonderful. I like it. <laughs> his computer opening. <laughs> he really uh, lifts that lid. I put it top five. Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to ask people ranking. <laughs> We've done enough. <laughs> Courtney, anything else in this chapter that you want to talk about? No, I was actually when you were talking about the ranking and the computers, because I was trying to remember if in number two, if there was any moments where we saw a shark near a computer, but uh, <laughs> there's, just, there's the shark at the window. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> did, they, did they pick a lock at one point? The, the, oh. No, 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 no they, they dug a trench. The sharks dug a trench. They don't have to pick any locks. They, they, they have mm. digging skills. That makes me so happy. They did dig a trench underneath yep. of it. Yeah. And then he just went for a joy swim. But the surprise trench. No one had seen it before. No one knew it was there. Yeah. Aaron does not, watch that area no, at all he had a camera trained on the trench and had not seen it, it was the, pro- the, <laughs> prob- the problem is he has too many monitors he's got like Whoa. a wall of monitors they're all sharing a different camera view it's different he's got too much to look at it's too much input if he had like three and they were rotating like not like spinning around but you know what was on on them was a slideshow kind of thing then i feel like he would have seen the trench hmm why, why are we spending so much time talking about DB? We've done DBZ2. We've, moved <laughs> we've never talked about this stuff. We this is really interesting. Like we're, we're tackling new ground here. We, we talked about like 11 hours on that. Well, I'll say for, for number four or five or how many they're going to do, but I'll say for number four, I want to see, based off of this conversation, a heist type team having to get into some facility where there's a whole bunch of really smart sharks. And I would like to see a scene where since these sharks are really smart, they find a way to hit like a giant keypad that just happens to unlock a door. Do they? Does it require only one button, or do the sharks have to like precisely hammer it like four times to hit the right code? Um, you know what? Have it. Have them hammer it so that it. You know, people think, oh, that's kind of strange that it happens, and then have a callback later on where you realize, no, these sharks have been observing whatever you know they've been able they've been using their super sharp vision to see what the code is so you know they've been ramming it to try and hit the code that'd be amazing yeah and they do they do the national treasure where they put the chalk on it to see which (laughs) numbers have been pressed oh it's it's this date it's it's the coordinates for aquatica because i don't remember when when you first see jurassic park and there's the whole kitchen scene and you see the handle open, and you go, "Wait a minute! They can, they can open doors, you know." And I remember like the theater just going crazy when when that happened, right? Like you just have oh, have a moment like that, you know. This is this franchise when it really embraces the the fun, imaginative aspects, you know. It, it makes for a really entertaining film. Yeah, and they have like the line, unless they keep landing of open doors. Oh look, it's opening a door. 
The kids That's a screwed. great gag, though. They it's think like, they're safe in a locked room, and like, uh, uh, and then the sharks know the code. That's a great bit right there because you think you can relax, and then it takes a really silly, fun turn, and then you kick right back into the action. Yeah, and it's a good callback to like, you know, like the first one because you think LL Cool J thought he was safe in the oven, and then. <laughs> By chance, he turned on the oven. So you know, like there's 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 ways that you can do it so that it, if if you're worried about it being a little too obvious, there's still ways that you can do it that would make it entertaining. But yeah, the, you know, the fact that okay, you're safe. These sharks they can't pick a lock or something, and then somehow they manage to get the door open. It's like oh, now now what we're we gonna do, right? And the debate is still open as whether that oven turning on was by chance or not. It, so some say it's premeditated, some say it's by chance. I can't remember what we decided on, but. I, you know, they were smart sharks. Yeah, they're, they're smarter. They're smarter than the average human. So I would assume that they looked at it and like, oh, I saw this on, you know, Emerald Glossy, whatever. Bobby Flay, he had a oven like this. <laughs> this is how he turned it on. You know, it's a shark, shark watching diners dive in and dive. <laughs> <and> dive. <laughs> oh yeah, this is great. It'll oh, there's, there's potential. There's there's potential that you could easily do another one, and because I like Fast and the Furious, take it that kind of route where you just really embrace the breaking down the, the laws of science and physics and just having fun with it. Love it. Okay. And it needs a jet ski chase in a lazy river. Yeah. <laughs> Why in a lazy river? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Why is it a big know. circle? When I came up with that fake Sandler film, Jacked Up, I, the finale was a jet ski chase in a lazy river because that seemed like a very sandler thing to do are they going with the flow or against the flow oh man or is one person going with it and the other person going against it to like catch well, up with it so train to busan i love the scene where they're trying to run up the escalator that's going down and the zombies are running at them i think that's such a horrifying vision man that's tough let's let's say uh Let's say they're going backwards, but then the shark gets smart and goes the other way, and then they meet. That's so the, it. The right shark there. just kind of it's swimming, it's swimming, it's not going anywhere, and you just see it just stop trying to swim and just drift away. And they think, ah, oh, we're fine. Let's just carry on. And then a few minutes go by. You forget the shark's even there. And then the shark's there. Yeah. yeah. And it swallows a jet ski hole. It swallows a jet ski hole. Okay, on that note, I think, I think that's chapter five done. So, Courtney, where can the listeners find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter, at SmallMind, and uh, my writing at Cinema Axis, uh, POV Magazine, or ThatShelf.com. And you can you can hear me on – what do you want to uh, tell listeners what you do over on the Changing Reels podcast? Oh, yes. I haven't uh, done an episode in a while, and I've, I'm hoping this summer to get it back up and running but on that podcast changing girls we we look at films from the aspect of like diversity and representation um so i usually bring on a guest and we'll take a deep dive into a film see what like works and what doesn't work from a diversity standpoint and it could really be about anything we've had dramas rom-coms action films so just just trying to change the kind of the conversation on diversity and representation and showing that there are films that are already doing this we just need to start paying more, more attention to it and I was on almost exactly a year ago to the day to talk about Attack the Block. And I look forward yes, to coming back to talk about Attack the Block 2 when that comes out. You know what? I will <laughs> mark you down. I, I hope to have you on the show uh, before that. And Mark, I'd like to get you on the show as well if you're, if you're up for it. Of course, yeah. yeah Let's do it. it. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm working on the next batch of 
films, and then I'll contact you guys and throw it out. But yeah, I definitely want to get back into it. It's just been it's just been really busy of late. Yeah, I'm I'm down. That sounds like fun to me. It's a it's a very informative and also entertaining podcast. I recommend it. So it's changing rails. And listeners, you can find this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Deep Blue Sea Pod, or uh, email us Deep Blue Sea Pod at gmail dot com. You can find more of my writings over at Life versus Film dot com, Life vs Film, uh, or listen to the monthly movie trivia, uh, Lampity Jeopardy inspired thing over on the Lambcast, the official podcast of the large association of movie blogs uh just search Lambcast on all good podcatchers we do a it's generally towards the end of the month it's a movie trivia show it's fun times there's a weekly podcast as well but i only do the monthly one and if you have a movie blog or podcast and want to join a big community of like-minded folks then largeassmovieblogs.com is where you should go mark what would you like to plug i just want to say hi to all of our listeners in gambia hello gambia uh, let's see and then Oman, we're num- we were number one. Now we're number two. Oh. But hey, we, we are number two. In Vietnam, we're number 16. So that's pretty great. And then Saudi Arabia, we are 26. And so I just want to say hi to all of our listeners there who are checking out Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. I guess if you want to look at my stuff, it's just movies, films, and flicks, movies, films, and F-L-I-X. Go to the website or listen to the podcast. Go to Rotten Tomatoes. You can read my articles there and listen to RT is Wrong. So RT was wrong was number three, and we were number one. So for a while, we had a nice lead over them. But then NPR beat us, I think, Jay. See, so. I, I, you'd listed off a bunch of places that we weren't number one. And yep. I'm grateful to everyone in those places who was listening and getting us up in the charts. But you you need to work harder, guys. Come we were on. number one. We were number we one. We were. Yes, were. Yeah. Past tense. True. Past tense. Yeah. Come get on, get back. out there and promote us. Show your friends. Everyone, please. <laughs> And then let's see. Oh, Film Theory. Check out uh, Film Theory on YouTube. Mark Hoffmeyer Film Theory. You can see my videos there. And I was a guest on Too Fast, Too Forever, the Fast and Furious podcast. So I had a lot of fun talking about Too Fast, Too Furious with them. And Deep Blue Sea guest Aaron Neuwirth, he's going to be a guest on there talking about Tokyo Drift. And then they're going to be a guest on Out Now with Aaron and Abe for Fast 9. And Aaron will be on this podcast in the next few weeks, I think. Right. So we got a lot of Fast and Furious. <laughs> Several and snakes eating each other's tails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's all my plugs for now. Outstanding. Well, that'll do it for Deep Sea 3, Chapter 5. Thank you, Courtney, for joining us. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, continued great success with this show. I love it. Sorry, it's taken us a year to get you on. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's been it's been a really long year for everyone, so True. I I'm not even stressing over it. Well, I've been Jake Lewis. And I'm Mark Hoffmeyer. And we'll deep blue see you next week. <laughs>